Let's pray, please. Father, we, we bow in your presence this day. We are so glad to be here together in your presence. May your word be our rule and our guide. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher this day, once again, your spirit, our teacher. And your glory, Lord, your greater glory, our great concern, our great passion. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, hello. <laughs> how nice to see you and how nice to be here with you. My goodness, after, after all of the years, we, we had four years in this congregation from 1986 to 1990, and they were some of the very, very best years God had given us as a family and, and as a leadership couple, my wife and I, and, and, and when we left Truro, to, we went from here down to Shreveport, Louisiana for five years, had wonderful years there, and then went up to Pittsburgh, and I pastored a church there for 24 years, the longest pastorate by far of my, of my uh, church callings, and and retired two or three years ago. But when we left Truro, I, a big part of our heart stayed behind, stayed here with you. It, just walking on these grounds this morning and, and the welcome that we've received all morning from, from you, it is so good to be here with you. Thank you for the invitation. And, and uh, I, I bring greetings from my wife, who is back in Pittsburgh. Um, she really wanted to be here. Becca wanted to be here with us today, but she managed to, to, to catch what my grandchildren were offering her this week and is now sick with what they were sick with and had to stay home today. Um, gosh, but she sends her love and greetings to you as, as well. So much has happened over the last three decades since we were here the last time. A lot happened to us when we came here. We had five children. When we left here, we had six children. Um, the oldest of my children happens to be sitting over there. Tim is the oldest with his wife, Liz, and with their four children. A lot has happened over these past years. Uh, my goodness, we now have uh, our six kids are all married and having babies. We have 24 grandbabies. The oldest of them just turned 13 over there. Ian's the oldest. and turned 13, and they're all young, and it's wonderful. Half of them live in town with us, and then half of them are scattered around the country. We see a lot of them, so all of that has happened to us. But some difficult things have happened to us all over these, over these last decades as, as well. I think most of you would agree with me as we gather for worship this morning that the culture and the country and the church are all in serious decline. And it's a, a dangerous time and a difficult time in, in a, lot of, a lot of ways. Uh, I, I know it's been a, a difficult time for you here at, at Truro as well. I, I do know that. I'm aware of that. And I, I wanted to just say a, a quick uh, something about that. Stay close together. And keep your eyes on the Lord. And he will get you through to a, a promising and, and beautiful future. I do believe that. I do believe that. Part of, part of what we're caught in is far bigger than any congregation in this country. A Andy Crouch 
um, former editor-in-chief of Christianity Today had a memorable phrase. He, he said, everywhere he looks, it's diminishing circles of trust. And we're all infected by that. It's been the pandemic and the politics. It's, it's been personal circumstances and challenges. It's been the tilt of, in Western culture against Orthodox Christianity, Biblical Christianity. That we now, when 30 years ago, that was not true. But it is true now. And there we are. Stay together. Lean into each other. Stay close to the Lord. Keep your eyes on him. Lean in towards him. We'll get through this. And my guess is that we're going to find that God has some surprisingly powerful things that in the midst of a hard time can be actually turn out to be one of his best times for what he does in us and among us. So now I want to I talk to you to, uh, today about... about um, this decline in our country, but I don't want to talk about that and in the culture and in the church. I want to talk about something that I think is very, very important for reversing that decline. And it, it, it happens to be the story that was the gospel story this morning. <laughs> um, by, by providence, uh, God gave me that text to preach on out of the lectionary today. For the great majority of the life of the church, let's, let's take the big picture. You look back 2,000 years. For the great majority of the life of the church, Christians have expected and hoped for and longed for, looked for, a very specific completion to their life. This is how John puts it in his first letter. We heard it read a moment ago. We know that when we, he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. The apostles telling us that a great day is coming when we shall see him. And see him as he is. See him in his glory. And the sight of him in his glory will bring to completion what he's already begun in us. John writes, we shall become like him. We shall be like him. That's your destiny. That's his promise. That's our hope. That's where we're heading. That hope that we shall see him as he is is known as the vision of God. It was promised by Jesus. Do you remember? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It was taught by his apostles, but, but today you never hear people talk about it anymore. We don't. Why? Well, I think it's because our modern world suffers from a special kind of blindness. Modern people, people like you and, and, and me, we are materialists. We only believe in what we can see with our eyes or touch with our fingers. And now many postmodern people have added a new twist to that. They, they believe that reality is only what I say it is. But the Bible gives us a different greater description, truer description of reality. The Bible tells us that God is real and his kingdom is real, that heaven is real and angels are real, that eternity is real and so is goodness and truth and beauty. They are real. Today, modern people seem to have lost the connection between eternity and time, between heaven and earth. If you lose the connection 
between heaven and earth and eternity and time, between the invisible and the visible, how can you tell what your life is all about? How can you tell what life means? And we've lost our understanding, any understanding of meaning in life beyond what we give it ourselves. It's a special kind of blindness. Jeremiah and David and Jesus all spoke of people who have eyes but cannot see. I wonder, I worry, is that us? Is that me, Lord, too? The healing of our sight and the recovery of the vision of God is very much at the heart of Jesus' mission to renew his church and our culture and our country and his world. I want to speak to you about the vision of God today. It's a breathtaking vision when it happens. Near the end of his years of ministry, in the shadow of the cross, there was a moment when the disciples saw Jesus like they had never seen him before. We call it the transfiguration, and it was breathtaking. Jesus took Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves and was transfigured before them, we're told. His face shone like the sun. They couldn't look at him. His clothes became white as light. Christians have always said about this moment that Jesus appeared in his glory. He appeared in heavenly form. His, his divinity showed through. Matthew tells us that suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Moses is the giver of the law. We have not seen him since he was laid in a grave, never having set foot in the promised land, but here he is with both feet firmly in the promised land, talking to Jesus. Elijah was the greatest of the prophets. We haven't seen him since he was taken to heaven in a whirlwind, but here he is back on earth talking with Jesus. Together, they represent the vast witness of the Old Testament. It's the law and the prophets, alive beyond death, speaking with Jesus. Luke tells us that they spoke about his departure. The word is literally his exodus, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. They, they talked not about his entrance, but about his exit, not about the start of his work, but the finish of his work. This is the king who would give up his glory in order to give us his glory. It was a breathtaking vision, but it brought with it a heartbreaking discovery. Peter immediately started to talk. Lord, it's wonderful for us to be. If, if you want, I'll make shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I love Peter, ha. so full of advice, so ready to manage everybody's life. He's got a plan for your life. You know people like that. He wanted to build shelters, tabernacles. Uh, if you think of shrines, that would be the right idea. This would be a, a retreat center on the mountaintop, the church of the mountaintop. It's all about glory. It's all about victory. It's never about suffering or hardship or difficulty. You know churches like this. Matthew tells us he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. 
Suddenly, it was not just Jesus in his glory. It was a bright cloud of presence, a cloud that led the Israelites out of Egypt, a cloud that descended on Mount Sinai until it shook. That cloud overshadows them all. The real tabernacle has arrived. And a voice from the cloud speaks. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Mark tells us that they were terrified and they fell to the ground, those three apostles. I wonder if you've ever had a moment like that. You and I live in a culture that has lost the hunger to see beyond what we can see. So moments like that perhaps are rare. Instead, we prefer to look at what we do see, what we can see, and, and what we wish to see. Just wait for the metaverse, and we'll see where that takes us. Often we end up these days with critical or angry comments along the way. We, we don't have the time to stop and look and listen anymore. We're so full of our own opinions these days. We're always talking. We're always telling people. But when you get in the presence of the Lord, you stop your talking. You stop your telling. Suddenly you can see what you couldn't see before. You see your world differently. You see yourself differently too. It puts you on your face before the Lord. You know that the big problem in your life is it's not all those people out there who didn't vote like you vote or think like you think or mask like you prefer to mask or anything. It's not them. That's not the big problem in your life. The big problem is much closer to home. The big problem is you, me. I'm the big problem in my life. Isaiah saw the Lord and he said, Oh, Lord, I have filthy lips and unclean heart. Job saw the Lord and he said, I've heard of you with my ear, but now I see you with my eyes and I repent in dust and ashes. On Patmos, John saw the Lord and said, I fell on my face like a dead man. It happens in the pages of the Bible again and again. It happened on that day. It was as though God raised a hand to Peter and, and the disciples and just Stop all your talking and look and listen to him. This, this, my son, my dear son, look to him, listen to him. Moments like that still happen today. Moments like that can happen in places like this with people like us on days like today. If that day was a breathtaking vision and a heartbreaking discovery, it was also a life-changing moment for those disciples. Matthew tells us that the very first thing that Jesus did when the cloud lifted was to reach out his hand and, and touch them. That was the hand that just moments ago was too bright to look at, it, it flooded with uncreated light, I don't know. 
That is the hand that just some weeks ahead would open to receive a Roman spike. That's the hand that he touched them with on that day. And then Jesus said, get up. Don't be afraid. Don't miss that touch. Don't miss those words. This was a life-changing moment. After his crucifixion, after the Lord's resurrection, Peter would reflect back on that day and write that they saw him in his majesty on the mountain. And John would write, we, we saw his glory. When they call God glorious or majestic, it, it doesn't mean what we often think. We think of glory as brightness or maybe as fame or reputation or something like that. But, but when the Bible uses the word glory, it means something different. The Hebrew word literally means heavy. It means substantial, solid, weighty. What the Bible means by that is that God outweighs everything else. He alone is true. He alone is eternal. He alone has matter. He alone matters. He outweighs everything. You and I and we're often like a passing mist before him. But when you catch sight of the glory of God, everything else seems like nothing. If you have him, you have everything. In the pages of the Bible, Abraham and Jacob, and Moses and Isaiah, and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they all saw the Lord. So did James and John and, and Peter and Paul and, and the eyewitnesses of Christ's resurrection. These men, these women, they lived in days far more difficult than the days that you and I live in. Their country, their culture, their church was also in decline, sometimes sharply, sometimes seriously. And then they saw the Lord. They fell on their faces to a man, to a woman. I am undone. They would say, my life must change, they would think. And soon enough, the Lord would reach out and touch them too. Your life indeed will change, he would promise. They never forgot the sight of the Lord. Every single one of them became a, a force for God and for his kingdom in their own land, in their own culture, in their own day. Hebrews tells us that Moses endured as seeing him who was invisible. The sight of God will make you durable, no matter what is happening in your world around you. We need durable men and women in our day, too. For the last days, we've been watching with broken hearts the suffering of the Ukrainian people. The stories of their resilience, the stories of their courage, the stories of their devotion are stirring. They act like people who have stood in the presence of the Lord May God guard them and protect them and provide for them and give them many friends above and below. We hold them in prayer as we come to worship this day. 
As God changes you, he will change how you think about your life and your world and your culture and, and about yourself, too. He begins to rearrange you. Sometimes when he rearranges you, he might contradict you or correct you or redirect you. Maybe he might say to you something like this, that the American Jesus, the Jesus of your tribe, is not the real Jesus. It's a poor imitation of the real Jesus. Come to the real Jesus. Maybe he might even say something like that to you. Do you have a God who can contradict you or correct you? Does your God have that weight in your life? The Father's word to the disciples, listen, is, is actually a word that means hyper-listen. It means listen deeply, listen carefully. Become familiar with the words of Jesus. Take them personally. He means you to take them personally. Remember them, ponder them. Value them, treasure them, more than you treasure any other words, any other loud voices in this crazy culture of ours. Treasure his voice. Say yes to everything he says to you. Do what he tells you to do. Not just when you feel like doing what he tells you to do, but maybe especially when you don't feel like doing what he tells you to do. Do it just because he told you to do it. When was the last time you did something that you didn't really want to do, but you did it just because he told you to do it? Trust his words more than your feelings. Build your life around him and his words. Look to him. Listen to him. That's why we call him master. That's why we call him Lord. Mark tells us that they rose looking around, rubbing their eyes, seeing, I love the words, seeing nothing but Jesus, only Jesus. And that's what I invite you to take from this story on this day. No one is like him. He towers over all others. Elijah, Moses, over the entire Old Testament, they bear witness to him. The apostles bow before him. The Father points to him. All creation longs for him, yearns for his return. He's our first love, our great love. Who else can we go to but him? And having him, we have all things, all things. So my prayer is for us, for all of us, for me, for you, that we catch fresh sight of the Lord in a place like this on a day like today, that as you come forward today, maybe to this rail, to this table, that you'd catch fresh sight of him, that, that you would know his hand, that hand, that sacred hand, full of light and full of suffering, reaches out and touches you too, that you know you've been with him, and that he says once again to you, fear not.
Keep your eyes on me. Get up. We go forth. Pray with me, please. We ask this day, Lord, for a fresh sight of you and your glory. A fresh sight of you and your mercy. A fresh sight of your greatness, your majesty. A touch from your hand, Lord, that sacred hand of yours that you stretched out to us, that you stretched out for us. A fresh touch from your hand. And that you would, with that touch, with that look, with that vision, make us more and more deeply, more and more wonderfully, men and women who bear your likeness, who become like you. That's our prayer, Lord, please, our prayer this day once again. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen.